cliffcentral.com Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Jack McClant is here, and we are ready to take you through your Tuesday morning and yes, put sir. you through your paces for Democracy 101 this morning. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan Moyani later mm. on. I'm very, mm. uh, I'm excited to see Dan. I haven't seen him for a while. I'd used love to, to meet him. I've never met the man, so it'll be very interesting to see him today. Yeah, he, we used to work together at uh, 702, and yep. um, he's gone on to have an incredible and and a storied career in television news, among other things. So we'll be spending a bit of time with Dan Moyane later on. And uh, also, JJ Cornish makes a triumphant return. Yep, it's been a while. African analysis this morning. So there's lots going on. And you can just chill, take it easy, and leave the important stuff to us, at least for the first two hours of your day today. Mm. I, th- I, f- I struggled to wake up this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I struggled to go to sleep last night. Well, yeah, that's why. I mean, mm. I, I, I woke up like in the middle of the night and I thought I was being eaten by mozzies, but there were no mozzie bites. Then I turned on the fan because it was so damn hot. Mm. And then I still couldn't get to sleep, you know, sort of rolling around. I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Yeah. I was sleeping so well just a couple of, uh, you know, couple of weeks in a row i was like oh, i'm getting this right finally right i've cracked the formula mm-hmm. and this happened last night anyway so if i make about as much sense as joe biden this morning you know why <laughs> yeah anyway uh so what's been happening jack what's uh, what's going on in your world tell us give us an update uh it's been good man so we're still doing some of those road shows with vvip um, Balintuli, by the way, is doing a f- like a phenomenal job. So just explain uh, to everybody, first of all, VVIP is uh, Voters' Voices in Politics. politics it's, yeah. it's a new uh, series that we've put together, which you can listen to if you go to the podcast party on SK. YouTube. That's yep. the place to find everything. Mm-hmm. You can see where the guys have been. It's what, shopping malls, taxi we've done ranks? shopping malls. We, this past week, we were at uh, different universities, TVET colleges, oh, that kind of stuff. So we were discussing... Politics and the democracy that we live in. Uh, in and what do you country. ask people? Like we want, we want to find out. Like if there were two things that you could change immediately, what would those two things be? Um, and you know how the American dream is something that everyone can point out. You know, white picket fence, sure. two and a half kids, that kind yeah. of thing. So we're asking people, what does the South African dream look like to you? And for the most part, we've got electricity. Oh, wow. Right. Our standards are a bit lower, right? Yeah, much lower. And um, mm. it's very interesting to hear some of the opinions that come from uh, different people because, you know, some of us have these prejudgments in our minds that, okay, these kind of problems only uh, face certain people. But it, we've actually got a general consensus on what is wrong in the country and mm. how we can go about fixing it, which is, <clears throat> it was it was really a breath of fresh air to, to know that. Is there anything that surprised you in people's answers so far? I mean, I, I do. I want people to go and watch the, uh, the YouTube videos themselves and take a look because, you know, a lot of uh, experts and in inverted commas don't really actually do any of the question yeah. and answer stuff themselves. So yeah. they look at polls, they look at raw data, they look at stuff that's submitted by phone or whatever else. Mm. When you're actually talking to people, you get different answers. You definitely do. You actually realize just how on the pulse people are. Yeah, uh, they're, not, they're not as disconnected as yeah. everybody thinks. Like when they say, for example, that people in their 20s don't want to vote. No, they actually do. So, um, so tell me about the, this. The, the issue at this point, especially amongst young people, is that no one seems to be sending their messages or their political messages towards young people. So they feel like they're being spoken to rather than spoken with, which mm. brings a different uh, dynamic to things. You get what I mean? Yeah, people because, are telling them, this, yeah. is what, this is what you think. And they're like, no, actually, but they're not going to argue. Can you imagine like you are trying to figure out this life thing and then you've got these old ass people coming up to you telling you you're not doing enough. It's like, excuse me, I still go to school. I wake up every morning. I do exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And even with that reality, I might not even get a job. Yeah. I know so, they've all been told, they've been sold a bill of goods, right? Right. Been told, oh, if you if you just work really hard, you get good marks. Exactly. And you'll get into university. And when you get into university, you'll get a degree. Once you get a degree, you'll get, you get a, job. a job. 
and it's unraveling. It's not. It, yeah. It's it's not such a straight shoot as a lot of people might. Uh, make it seem, or at least these politicians make it seem. Mm. Um, a lot of young people are having to navigate having a uh, specialized degree in something and then having to figure out to get a job that might be in the same industry or that might not be in the same industry at all. So ultimately what you find is when you are trying to get this job and they require three or four years of experience in that field, you have three or four ex- years of experience in retail instead of yeah. the biological science and stuff that you were studying in school. So it's, it's a difficult road for young people to navigate. So a lot of them are of the opinion, look, we might as well not listen to these people and just come and, up with and, our own shit. And am I right? Like politics is not a priority to them because they don't actually see how that translates directly into benefits. For yeah, them. they do not. They do not. Because uh, you, you, you see these politicians and they talk about things like, Oh, like um, land and like voting and like um, All of race these. and politics and stuff that doesn't actually affect people on a daily basis. And At then all. they go, why should I spend any time and energy on this nonsense? What's interesting is, as far as uh, the race uh, issue is concerned, yeah. young people actually don't care. Really? They do not care. It's, it's, it's not about whether that person is colored Indian or whatever the fuck. Like, it does yeah, not matter. Because we hear all the time from politicians, it's the most important thing to everybody. No, it's not. No, yeah. it's not. Uh, we This past week when we were at CJC Parktown, mm-hmm. we saw white kids, Indian kids, colored kids, black kids, all singing together, having the same complaints, discussing the same issues, right. coming up with a variety of uh, solutions because they quote unquote, comes from different walks of life. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they were all sitting around the same table trying to bring about the change that they want to see. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, no one cares. Right. Yeah, I suppose it's only the politicians who exploit those things for their own purposes. It's it's just about trying to get people hot under the collar Mm. so it makes it seem like they are actually doing something, but they're not. Well, I'm very excited to hear what you guys have been up to. And I think if you want to go and check out more, go to the podcast party. You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's Maybe it's a party, like, woo, but it's it's actually a, a party as in one of the political parties. But we're not registered for the election. Not and a- we're not looking for your vote. Mm-mm. We're just looking for your opinion. Yeah. Um, yep. Go and take a look at it. It is VVIP in the podcast party channel on YouTube. And then... Uh, I did see Moonchild says, great work that Jack and the team are doing. That's what we need in this country right now. Well, I suppose for the rest of us, those of us who are going to watch and listen to what you guys have been doing, yeah, uh, this is a source of information that you're not going to get easily if you go out yourself and Definitely. try and do it. Definitely. And you mentioned Mbalin Tuli. So she's she's doing these um, Groundwork Collective gatherings, yeah. which are actually about getting people to register, mm-hmm. telling people about what's happening in the country, yep. uh, democratic processes, education and democracy, all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, you'd, you'd be shocked at how clued up people are. Like, uh, people have made up their minds about who they're going to vote for. Really? They have. So there's not much point in these uh, politicians campaigning? No, not at all. And what are you hearing? Um, from what I can pick up, uh, the big three are in the mix. However, the ANC has, uh, weirdly enough still has a lot of ardent supporters. Like, yes. Really, huh? We are ANC through and through. They brought and us through. young people? No. Oh. Well, people in there, you know, from about 28 to about 40-ish. Okay. Um, a lot of them are of the opinion that, you know, we, we need to remember the historical significance of the ANC. Oh, okay. And we can't just expect push that from 28-year-olds. You get okay. what I mean? Uh, but it, a, a lot of it sounds like indo- indoctrination. You know, they were told these things. This is how things are supposed to go. Uh, but what was refreshing to hear from a lot of people is how they know about uh, uh, parties like Rise Mzansi, Rise SA, and all of that stuff. Uh, I, ca- I, I met a couple of these ladies from, uh, I forgot what church they're from, but they are sure that they are voting for the ACDP because they honestly believe that we need to bring God back into uh, the realm of politics because it seems pretty godless. Someone said to me uh, years ago that the thing you've got to remember about South Africa is actually we're a tremendously conservative and religious society. Yep. Yep. Right? 
Deeply what, conservative, yeah. Yeah. So South Africans, if you look at uh, the kinds of values that people care about, mm. conservatism, Christianity, family, yep. these are the things that, you know, any good society should really have. Mm. Whether you're religious or not, I mean, you, you can argue that the tenets of X religion or Y are particularly good or bad. But I do think it's better to have that mm. than to have a bunch of godless heathens running around just killing True. each other. True. So, I mean, you know, there's a good argument for sensible and rational stuff, but there's also a good argument for those conservative family values too. Yep. So let's see what happens. You know, I actually wish um, I was having a chat with a friend of mine yesterday and we were, what I was trying to point out to him was it's either political parties are that shameless or South Africans mm. are that actionless. Like these people have been doing things for the kind past. Kind of disconnect. Yeah. They've been doing this, this, these kind of un, you know, unnecessary behavior and uh, telling us all of this nonsense for at least 30 years. And South Africans have let this happen yeah. for 30 years. Like when you consider the past eight, the past rate being dropped to 30%, I would have never sent my child to school after that day. After that announcement, yeah. I would have kept my right. child at home. You would have said, I'll homeschool you. I'd, I'd much rather do that. Mm. In fact, by the time it got to 30%, it was too late already. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you just have to listen to one speech from the Minister of Education somewhere around matric mm. uh, when the results are coming out, and she always has something really stupid and banal to say. And you think, if this is the person in charge of schooling in this country, I yeah. think you'd probably be better off teaching your kids uh, yourself at home. Truly. Really. Truly. They'd learn more from you, and, and thanks to the internet, you can now get any resources you need to be able to teach kids without having to. It's just time, time and effort and energy. Really? You know, I mean, that's what it is. Like even um, uh, Miss Naledi Pando, who's now in front of the ICJ and all of this yeah, stuff running around. But international relations. During so. her tenure as uh, Minister of Basic Education, she changed. I think she was in science and technology. I don't know if she was ever in basic education. It's something along those lines. No. But I mean, the curriculum changed three or four times in her tenure. I'm uh, sorry. You can't be wrong. On that level, four times, four times in five years, I refuse. <laughs> but well, at the same time, we are we need to take our part of the blame for letting these things happen. Well, I mean, listen to this: the Gauteng Education Department, since we're talking about them, mm -hmm. says preliminary investigations looking into the shooting of a principal by a grade six learner yep. have revealed it was planned on WhatsApp last week. A 13-year-old, 13-year-old shot the principal of Primrose Primary School in Germiston after he instructed them to gather in the foyer to take out their workbooks to study. So it's not like he said, all right, now we're going to beat you with sticks. He's like, take out your workbooks mm. to study. And this pupil's like, uh-uh. 13-year-old -uh. takes out a pistol and shoots the, the principal. The arrested pupil was part of a WhatsApp group with other learners where they allegedly discussed the shooting. The principal survived and is recovering in hospital. Thank God for that. How's that though? But it's, you know, it's, I don't we, know. We, we, like, we often talk about America and school shootings. Right. And we say, oh, well, it's a very uniquely American problem. Mm -hmm. And they do have a big problem there with firearms. Yes, they no do. doubt. They do. And there's some kind of weird relationship that Americans have in general with gun violence. Mm -hmm. And maybe because they're the country where most of the cameras and the phones and the microphones are. Yeah. And maybe they're also one of the countries that pays more attention to themselves than anyone else. Very true. The fact is, this happened here in Germiston in South Africa. I The first I've heard of it was when I saw this, this story about the WhatsApp group. Really? Where they got together and planned it. I, it's not... Do you read newspapers? No, well, uh, so I, I tune newspapers. into the radio every now and again, and I heard so I about this last week. I don't listen to radio. Yeah. Um, TV news I'll occasionally see when mm. people like Dan Moyani are doing their thing, and, sure. and I, I pay attention sometimes. You know, twice a week I'll see what's going on there just so that I'm not completely out of the loop. Yeah. And then other than that, I use the internet. But because I'm not on X, I'm not paying attention to like trending news okay. as much as maybe some people are. But what frightens me is that this thing doesn't seem to be getting that much attention. 
It actually is. It is. It, uh, well, on, on I'm willing to be corrected, but I haven't seen it on these. Like it's it's on most radio stations because like when I drive in and from home, how are they reporting about it? A 13 year old shoots. Yep. Yeah. And um, uh, the investigating officer yesterday broke the story, actually. Well, at least they got his comments on the situation. And he was the person that let us know that, look, uh, these kids were actually discussing this thing in, in the WhatsApp group. It had been planned for quite some time. So can the cops break into a WhatsApp group or did they confiscate this guy's phone? And they had going? to confiscate the phone. I doubt ah. that they broke into it. Okay. Um, they confiscated the phone. They saw all the WhatsApp group and... Uh, seemingly there was a couple of these kids in the same class that were planning this and that primary that, school kids. Yeah. That were planning this and they put all of their plans into motion and whoever this kid is decided he was going to be the one to pull out the gun and actually shoot the principal, which is pretty, in fact, the, if, if I'm not wrong, I, I stand to be corrected, but they were planning to shoot, uh, the principal, their class teacher, and someone else. I think there were three people. They're going to shoot a lot of people. Yeah, this, this stupid little hit list. And oh seemingly, yeah, it is over just something as basic as workbooks. So the Gauteng Education MEC, uh, Matome uh, Chilwane, visited yes. the school on Monday and addressed mm. the people, said, you must respect your te- respect. This is what he said. <laughs> you, you, should, yeah, yeah, you should try and respect your teachers. I think that horse is bolted. Yeah. That uh, we're, we're way beyond like respect your teachers. Mm. He says, I'm here to tell you that you're safe in school. Primary pro, uh, prim, bleh, Primrose Primary, <laughs> what a name for a school, by the way, <laughs> is a safe school. I'm going to do everything to ensure you're safe. Here you play, learn, and develop, he said. Mm. Not really, Mm-mm. though. Do we need to do what American schools do where they have like a… Metal detector and all of this stuff? Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, I've heard over the past couple of years, I've heard of kids stabbing one another at school. Uh, This is not the first incident where uh, some sort of dangerous weapon was brought into a school. I think this is the first time I hear that a teacher got hurt. But yeah, I think we might need to install metal detectors and that kind of stuff. It's unreal. So I'm I'm just looking at the rest of the story. So apparently... Uh, the pupil allegedly targeted the principal and two others because they were the ones he believed alerted his father to his performance at school. There you go. The father would apparently punish the child. Well, not enough. Not enough. Clearly not enough. Not enough. I mean... I wonder what that punishment entails exactly. Like, don't do that again. It's like, really? Is that it? And where did this kid get the gun from? That's what I'm interested in. Because we, we, we were always told, you know, the biggest danger in this country is the people who have firearms. Mm. But it's, it, I want to know if this firearm was... Clearly, it's not legal for a 13-year-old to have it. But yep. was it his father's? Could be. Was it stolen? I, that hasn't been made clear yet. Uh, it hasn't been made clear yet. I wonder who, whose firearm that was. Hmm. In fact, that person needs to be prosecuted too. Uh, because no, they will be. Yeah, because I mean, if if they're you've in, got a, a a weapon that can uh, cause severe bodily harm, mm-hmm. you need to look after it. If it's found in no, no, that's that's going to happen. I yeah, mean, if you if you are a legal firearm owner and your firearm is used in the crime, then you become a part of that. Uh, yeah, that whole case. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. But I did find it pretty disturbing. Now, speaking of schools, I don't know why, but today seems to be all about schools. Noordgesig Secondary School in Gauteng is facing a shortage of classrooms, forcing students to attend school on a rotational basis, meaning they only attend classes for 10 days in a month. Situation arose after 13 classrooms are shut down because of asbestos in the ceilings. The Gauteng Department of Education has promised to deliver more mobile classrooms, but parents say... They're tired of empty promises and frustrated by the disruption to their children's education. The issue only serves to highlight the ongoing challenges faced by South African schools, including inadequate infrastructure and a lack of resources. So we used to have a problem. I remember in the 90s, people would get up in arms, rightly so, about Mm. teachers having to teach under a tree. Yep. Or pupils having to go and use a long drop outside, Mm. you know, pit toilet type thing. Which is crazy because they still do. We still are. Still. Here we are 
25 years after those things were the major concerns, and we still haven't moved on from some of them. And this is in Gauteng. This is not in some rural backwater in Limpopo nope. or the Eastern Cape or the Northern Cape or something else. It boggles my mind that this should be happening in Gauteng. Hmm. So that education department is busy this week. Let's hope they sort out both of these problems. Um, not easy. Yeah, not easy, but you'll excuse me for not having too much faith in them. <laughs> because really, and, and, and with the amount of money that we put into education, there's no, there's no lack of resources here either. Like in that story you mentioned asbestos, mm. it's like in 2024. Really. I mean, who still makes asbestos? Really? And also, when did they build that school? In the 60s? Like, what the hell are we talking about? Like, what's going on right now? Like, <laughs> sometimes when you read some of these stories, you think it's, you have to think you're in the twilight zone. Like, this shit does not make sense. So, Shut Your Face Hole says, grade sixes is such a strange age. Two school tours in the same week, different schools, and a boy from each school tried to take their own lives while on tour. It's very sad what's going on. That's hectic. Yeah, that is that's bizarre. I don't know if it's an age thing. I think that there's there's definitely a a, a lot of questions we have to answer. I mean, Seriously. I'm not even going to start unpacking this stuff, but we need you know psychologists, we need social workers, we need to figure out what's going on in families. All of this stuff is uh, indicative of a big problem that we're not we're not entirely able to get grips come to grips with. And it makes me want, I, I asked you this before, are we the soft parents or are we raising soft kids? And I think it's a combination of both. It's becoming abundantly clear that we're not being tough enough on our kids. And as a result, they're growing up to be these whiny, soft, pushover bunch of little losers. Because seemingly this kid that uh, him and his WhatsApp group friends we're just being told how to behave properly. And their best reaction was to try find a gun to shoot someone. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that's right. that's like totally, a short It's totally messed up. It's completely messed up. You know, and, and for whatever reason, we continue to put a bandage over a bullet hole because we think, ah, they'll be okay. It's okay, baby. Mm -hmm. We'll sort it out. It's okay. No, it's not. It really isn't. Well, Ted seems to think that kids are being exposed to way too much too soon without the proper guidance. They're loose cannons by 13. That is true. That yeah. is true. Well, parents, you know, there's that story, and it came up on Friday last week. Um, there's a story about a, a school shooting in America where the, the mother has actually been tried alongside the child. Mm. She's been found equally responsible. She and the husband, I'm not sure what happened to him. I think he's also been charged if he's still alive. And uh, the two of them are also being considered criminal and they're being prosecuted as criminals, even though their kid is the one who went to school and shot people because mm. they apparently bought him the gun. So it makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, but you have to then be very careful because where do you draw the line? An individual must be responsible for their own actions. Sure. You can't find a community guilty of a shooting. Yeah, you can't. And if we're going to cross the line with parents as they have in America now and say, well, I don't care about whether you like it or not, mm -hmm. you're going to be tried alongside your kid for your dereliction of duty as a parent. How far do we take that? I do, think we, do we then, if you know, a kid steals because, I don't know, their parent was mean to them five years ago, do we take the parent in as well? I think it's 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 about uh, negligence, right? Like you have to, it, it, if you are in a hospital and a doctor leaves a piece of equipment in you after the operation, that's negligence. So okay. you, you can point directly to where the problem is. So if you are raising your kid surrounded by guns and all of this stuff, and they've got access to it, and you are not keeping tabs on when your kid has access to these guns, I think you should be liable. Negligence. It, it is negligence, okay. you know? So as long as it can be proven in court that you were completely asleep at the wheel and you let your kid run mad, then, you know what I mean? I think you should be put in the slammer too. Honestly speaking, we need to make a, 
a couple of examples of people, especially with some of these high-profile cases. So apparently, here's an interesting story. Uh, Carl and um, Fundo both saying that the gun comes from the dad and that the kids stole it at Germiston uh, Primrose Primary. I'm assuming that dad doesn't have a safe. Oh, no. Well, Amand says that the dad is also on trial. So let's see what what happens. That's great. Okay. That's good. Yeah, he's the dad who... The kid was scared would punish him. Mm. Imagine how much that dad wants to punish him now. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot more going on there. Yeah, there's going to be much, much more. Bronwyn going on says there. that I think it's more a lack of parenting. Friends and social media are raising our kids while we work. Thank you. I couldn't agree more with you, Bronwyn. I could not agree with you more. We we have somehow delegated parenting to smartphones and all of this stuff, and we're not limiting our kids' screen time. We, we're not taking note of the things that they are watching. And as a person that was a kid once upon a time, not too long ago, but I, I, I realized just how much influence my friends had on me. But the principles that I was raised on made it very easy for me to navigate some of those moments where peer pressure became a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I left the house with a, a backbone because my parents put it in me. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. And, you know, uh, a lot of people that grew up in the 90s will try and make the point that the 90s were more violent or whatever the case may be. But we, the majority of us, navigated those waters and we are here now. We're upstanding Yeah, I I don't buy that it's harder now. No, it's Um, not. Lovely Lady Lee makes a point. I hadn't really done the maths here and I'm not even sure what the maths is because I don't don't have kids. So what is a 13-year-old doing in primary school anyway? He should be in grade 8. If he's turning 14 this year, then yes, he should be in grade eight. So he's in grade? Six. Six. Something's wrong there. Yeah. Yep. There's something wrong there. He should be 12 in grade six, not 13. Mm. He's he's failed already then. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't catch that. Uh, Interesting. Mm. So if he's failed already, then... He's been a problem. What punishment was he, you know, I mean, like, so your results are bad again. Yeah, I wonder what he was I mean, maybe there's abuse in the house. We don't know. Mm. Plus, I heard a scary statistic about 80% of uh, kids in grade four can't read. So maybe he was part of that group and he was left behind at some point. Maybe. And, you know, his dad was like, I'm going to kill you. He's like, no, not before I kill the principal. Maybe that's how it works now. Dog maybe. eat dog world. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's madness. Um, so I don't know if you saw these, but Donald Trump has launched a line of sneakers. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he's got to pay for these uh, court cases somehow, right? <laughs> so Donald Trump is selling sneakers, and this is what they look like. They are gold. Ugh. They have the American flag on the heel. Mm. they got red and uh, white soles. That is like the worst knockoff of Jordans that I've ever seen. Like, these are absolutely Mm. trash. They make, that's so ugly. Um, I don't know what, I mean, listen, not my my kind of thing. I wouldn't wear sneakers like this, but you watch. As I said yesterday on Instagram, you watch how many people buy these. Mm. And not because they like Donald Trump, not because they want to spend money or because they easily talked into a trend. What people don't realize is that every person who loves Trump actually just hates the mainstream media yep. and the government elites mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the bureaucracy and all of these people on Wall Street and all, yeah, that's what they're against. Yeah. It's more of a rebellious move than it is a pro-Trump move. Yeah. And because, again, the Democrats in particular going after him in, there are there are what six or seven cases at the moment that are pending. Oh my word! Against Donald Trump, there have been way more that he's already managed to fight and 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 win. Mm. But he is the chief political rival of the incumbent president of the United States. Now, if you try to prevent the man from running, what do you think his supporters are going to do? They're just going to suddenly go, oh well, you know. If uh, if he has if if Stormy Daniels was paid hush money in the 2020 campaign or 2016 campaign, that's going to change my. It's not going to change it's their not, opinion at all. No, it's not. Uh, so they're not going to change their mind there. The, the 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 Georgia vote rigging trial turns out that that Fannie Willis, the woman who's 
been put in charge of the prosecution here, the, the attorney general. Mm. She has been sleeping with the guy who she appointed to investigate the matter and to yep. prosecute the matter. So it's all just rotten to the core. Do you really think, Democrats, that this is going to make Republicans who've already decided or independents who are going to vote for, for Trump, this is going to change their mind? They see it as a political persecution. Yeah of this guy. So the more you go after him, the more they hate you, the more they'll buy the sneakers, mm-hmm. the more they'll wear the Make America Great Again hats, the yep. more they'll uh, pitch up on election day and, and vote against you. You're, 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 fan, you're fanning the flames of yes, something that, instead of you just letting the guy run and letting democracy do its thing, and these are supposedly the people who keep saying, oh no, we're on the side of democracy and protect Ooh, democracy and defend wow. democracy. Well, 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 you, well. You, how can you accept that as an object of, if an alien landed now and said, these guys are the party that's defending democracy, then why the hell are you doing everything in your power to stop the guy who is running in a, an election against your guy? How can that be defending democracy? It can't be. So even if you hate Donald Trump and you're entitled to, there are lots of things to dislike about the man. They are. And those shoes in particular are revolting. They, <clears throat> excuse me, they shot very close to the top of the list for me. Like, and mind you, I don't hate anybody, but those shoes? Horrible. That uh, you watch, people will buy them just to prove a point. Oh, uh, and you know what? He'll probably make three hundred million uh, out of them, and then yeah. be able to pay that over to whichever. This is a judge in New York, another separate case, where they've they've gone after him for inflating property values, but they haven't gone after any other property developers who also None. inflate property values. Of course, I don't think and, there's and, a and, single and the, thing. The governor of New York even said so on Sunday. Yeah, said, "Look, if you're in property in New York, don't panic. We're not coming after you. It's just Donald." Can you imagine? I mean, that's isn't that an admission of guilt? It is. It's 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 orange profiling. That's the problem. Anyway, listen, uh, they carry on like this. They better get ready for four more years of Trump because that's what's going to happen. Yep, and they, they're, they're going to usher him right into the White House. They're persuading more and more people every day to to vote against the Democrats, not for them. Mm-hmm. With this uh, this ongoing case after case. They, Trump, listen, uh, whether you uh, agree with the man or not, whether you think he's a good human being or not, whether you like his politics or not, they are lining up these cases to try and trip him up. There's no, there's no two ways about it. And it's not going to happen. In fact, the, the, the prosecutor from the Georgia case admitted while he was on the stand that he had had meetings in the White House, mm-hmm. which means the White House is instructing yep. them on what to do. Yep. That's incontrovertible, and that does not look good. And I mean, the white, uh, uh, the the Joe Biden administration was found to have, um, in fact, the Democrats, excuse me, uh, were found to have uh, censored a lot of uh, people's thoughts about the COVID and all of this stuff. Like it has come to light that they have been curating uh, Americans' realities, essentially, and part of that curation includes dragging Donald Trump through all of these court cases. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I think the most egregious thing about this story, Gareth, believe it or not. The shoes. $399. (laughs) That is 7,000 rand. So apparently, uh, Uh, Giga Shack says in the comments, I tried to buy those revolting sneakers. Sadly, they sold out. So you were actually going to buy them? (laughs) Because, I mean, that's a different level of... uh, Oh, my God. ...of middle finger that you... (laughs) Three hundred ninety-nine dollars. So, how much is that in rand? Seven thousand rand. Seven thousand five hundred rand. There's no way in hell. There's I'd no buy way. This. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. There is I wouldn't. no way. There are lots of people who would. Oh, hell no. Those things aren't. They're not. So, they don't look good enough to wear. I'm sorry. I refuse. So he wants. He only needs a million people to buy them at yeah. three hundred ninety-nine dollars, and he's covered his legal fees. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a million people who are willing to For buy sure. them without a shadow of a doubt. He'll be fine. Trump must wear those sneakers as a marketing. Watch him. He will. Uh, I don't think he... I love these sneakers. They're amazing. (laughs) I love them. They're terrific. Tremendous. They're the best sneakers you could get. Mm -hmm. I think they'll look very good on you. And gold is the best (laughs) color on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's gold. You know when he signs his name on anything, he's got a gold pen for signing his name. Yeah. 
That's hey, at least he's, the man is he's consistent. He's so on brand, huh? He is so consistent. <laughs> People who talk about branding, this is the guy. <laughs> that the is way. the guy. Um, I'd buy them for collectible value. Well, you see, that's, that's also, uh, listen, I'm a sneaker fan, right? Mm. And I love sneakers. I haven't bought any for a long time. But if you did and you kept them for a while in pristine condition, I think they would be very valuable, even those disgusting ones. In a couple of years, sure. Uh, here's some pre-order ones. Look at these. See now. These are, these now, are like you like those more. Now we are. You like kind these? of <laughs> kind of getting it right. You now like we these are more? Kind of, kind of. Uh, they <laughs> let, let's be honest. They look a lot better than those gold things. So like these ones, you'd maybe wear those. What the white ones are pretty good. Yeah, I, I uh, <laughs> forty-five. It's, it's not. It's not the, my he, cup of tea. But I, I maybe he's the forty-fifth president. So that's the forty-five, and then the tea. These yeah. are one hundred and ninety-nine, and the white ones. Yeah, one hundred and ninety-nine each. The other ones three ninety-nine. Those ugly yeah, gold ones. Those ugly gold ones. Yeah, but I mean, you know, on on I don't know. Perhaps if I'm going somewhere for. <laughs> Uh, a drinking weekend or whatever, and I don't particularly care how I look. Hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's just do a little maths here. So I'm trying to see. Mm. Two hundred dollars. What is it now? Nineteen uh, times, right? Roughly? I think so. Yeah. So it's three thousand eight hundred. That's expensive too. That is uh, expensive. half the price, but I, I still I'm I mean I'm not. This but way. let's be honest. Decent uh, a decent pair of sneakers in SA is roughly. To two and a half, that. three thousand yeah. rand. So, if you're willing yeah. to spend that on a pair of shoes, yeah, you know, I wouldn't spend it on that, but like, you know. Michael John says, imagine the increase in the value of those shoes if he does win. Ooh. Mm. Uh, once you wear those sneakers, uh, Sonella says, once you wear the sneakers, you're going to win. We're going <laughs> to win so much. You're going to have so much winning. You're just She's not going to be able to handle it. Everywhere is winning. <laughs> We've got the most tremendous team. Put together. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Look, I told him, I said, put it down, and he wouldn't listen. And now we've won. We've made it to the top. Everybody put in your gold sneakers. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Fikil Mbalula is embarrassing us in Russia. He's been, this is on, this is on Russian TV. Gareth, we're having such a good time. From Russia, he says, the meeting of minds, the new world order in motion. Can you imagine a, a new world in this doofus's head? Just imagine the, the, how a new world order looks to him. It's Ooh. more like a new world chaos. I'm sorry. I don't want to go through <laughs> Figulilom Balula's mind. I, I don't think I could deal with the mess. And by the way, we never talked about this yesterday, but this um, Alex Navalny's death in yeah. a Russian prison in mm. Siberia mm -hmm. is an absolutely appalling thing. So I know on this show we try to be as balanced as possible, and we've talked a lot about Russia, India, China, and the fact that the, you know, the West may have uh, lost their their way. Yeah. That they may not be the nexus of power. And even on one of last week's shows, I was saying that the real leaders in the world today, again, I don't agree with any of these people, but the real serious people in politics at the moment are the people on the East, mm. uh, the, the Indians, the Chinese, and the Russians, in particular the presidents of those three countries. But... I have to say, um, and despite Tucker Carlson's best attempts to do PR for Vladimir Putin, I think that this is a really bad blot on his copybook. Yeah, it is. Again, just as you know, you don't go after your political opponent in the courts in America, it's a little more civilized, but you don't go and kill, and, and whether or not he died of natural causes, there is a small possibility that Alex Navalny, who, by the way, is the Russian opposition leader mm -hmm. and really the only guy who stood up to Putin in the last 12, 15 years. Yep. Um, he used to be a radio announcer. He used to be a, a, a bit of a local celebrity, used social media to climb into people's uh, consciousness, made a big noise, fought corruption, started an organization that was uh, ostensibly fighting corruption in Russia and was arrested on charges of fraud. They looked like they were largely trumped up charges of fraud. Mm. Um, he was sent off to a, a Siberian prison. An ice cube, essentially. And he was tortured there. And, uh, you know, his mother had seen him the day before. And apparently he was in pr pretty good health. There was nothing discernibly wrong with him. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he dies from a, a clot in, in, in an artery. It just all seems very suspicious. And 
does not help Vladimir Putin with his PR. Not at all. You know, it makes it makes it look exactly like it looks, mm-hmm. which is that Russia is this autocratic hellhole mm. where if you have any opinion that doesn't fit with the president comrade's opinion, mm. then you're finished. Yeah. And the fact that Fikile is hanging out with these people is uh, uh well it should give us pause for thought at very least, but probably give us a lot more discomfort than just that. Uh, who knows? He might just have a Freudian slip and actually say something of sense and they put him in, in a prison. Who knows? He might not come back. What, Fikile? Yeah, he might not come back. <laughs> he he might see, not return. The difference between him and, and Alex Navalny is no one in Russia actually takes Fikile seriously. Seriously, right? So. Mm. <laughs> I wonder you, why we You do. used the word chacharach earlier. He's yeah, just he, chacharach. He is. He's just desperate for attention. Chacharach. This is not a guy who is, uh, who's, who's to be treated like an adult in the room. But seriously. anyway. He's a he's an eighteen year old trapped in a fifty year old's body. And I just I was laughing last week. I think I, I mentioned it on the show. You imagine him and all these old communists meeting because it was it was him and a bunch of old communists. Mm. And these communists probably haven't had a hot meal in like fifteen Forever. years or whatever. All gathering around in a in a windowless room, probably about as big as the studio, mm. and they're having this private dinner to like. Talk about the old days of when communism really worked. Yeah, <laughs> as if there was a day where communism. No, actually no, no. Worked. They it's were, crazy. they were, they were all. So you could see these <laughs> these old old Russians in their threadbare jackets. <laughs> like once I was, once I was minister in charge of industrial development. Now I'm just old communist. <laughs> but thank you for inviting us, black men from Africa. So we sit and have a. Second-rate food with you. Yeah. Still better than third-rate food we get in flats around Moscow. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, <laughs> my comrade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us it's more about pleasure. the glory days of the 70s. <laughs> Tell us more about how well things were going. Oh, yeah. my God. All right, so that's happening in the world. You need to know what's happening. Yeah. Let us turn our attention to our own continent, Africa, because that's nearer to our neighborhood, and we've missed the man who gives us all this information. We haven't seen him on our screens for a little while now, but you're in luck because JJ Cornish returns triumphantly today with African Analysis. JJ Cornish, it's so nice to see you. African Analysis is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School looking at what's happening around the continent. How are you, sir? I'm immensely well, thanks. Very kind of you to ask. Good stuff. Well, we spoke about where the Secretary General of the ANC is in Russia at the moment, but here in Africa, we've missed out on a couple of important stories. So why don't you catch us up on what's been going on since we last caught up with you? Well, when you talk about Africa, one of the big stories internationally is why the Africans are leaving Africa, why they're trying to get out, and how do you stop it, and how do you control them when they're there? And the Europeans are the most vociferous on this, but they're not getting the most African migrants. They're doing all sorts of things, bribing the Libyans, doing things like that. Mm-hmm. I've got a little tangent on that, and that is that Mexico has suddenly become, and Latin American countries have suddenly become a target zone because Europe is tightening up so, but countries like Brazil, Ecuador are quite visa-friendly to Africans. Now, Mexico uh, had uh, 3,000 people detained, Africans detained uh, in 2023. The year before that, they had 785. It's reckoned that last year there were 60,000 African migrants to Mexico, uh, the year before that, only 6,000. How could it be hmm. that it's increased tenfold? Well, who's bringing them there? They're coming by boat. They're coming by uh, truck. Mm-hmm. And, and the con- they're coming from countries like Mauritania, Nigeria. Whenever something's going wrong in Africa, you know the Nigerians will be involved <laughs> in that. Cameroon. They're coming from all over the place, many of them obviously trying to get to the United States. And But uh, essentially, as the Mexican economy grows, many of them are finding comfortable homes there. Now, uh, you, you know, it, it's really bad. The, the, the thing is, I said Europe isn't the, the worst hit by African migration. Countries like uh, South Africa, Cote d'Ivoire, take far more 
migrants or, uh, uh, and refugees from Africa, countries like Ethiopia, Kenya, Chad, Uganda, Cameroon, South Sudan, take many, many, many more. And I was looking around, what's the best country for Africans? Well, that's probably Botswana, because it has uh, the, the means and the social programs to keep uh, uh, Africans. And a small, and of course, a small a lot population. Of Yes, and a lot of Zimbabweans were going there. So that is why Botswana always had something to say about what was happening in Zimbabwe because the Zimbab they felt the uh, burden or the, 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 well, certainly the influx of, Zimb of Zimbabwe migrants when they went there. You know, what are the most beautiful countries to go to in Africa? Well, I suppose Seychelles and Mauritius must be too. But, you know, I, you know, I, I was often joked that I'm old enough to remember when we could afford as South Africans to go on holiday in the Seychelles, but now they price themselves way, way beyond us. But Seychelles, Mauritius are the countries that many people, Europeans as well, aspire to. So this is the story, the African migrant story. It went down uh, two years ago. It started increasing again last year. Uh, the the height of it was about five or six years back. But the fact is. Africans so desperate to leave their country, so desperate that they prepared to risk their lives. And, you know, that's from Tunisia. More and more people are going from Mauritania and so on to the Canary Islands just to get into Spain. They, they risk their lives to get out of Morocco into those two enclaves, Soita and Melilla, again, to get into Spain. So it's a, it's a tragedy of African uh, uh, failure. To, to make life worthwhile for their uh, citizens. Now, now, clearly many of these people are fleeing violence and warfare, but many are what, what are euphemistically called economic migrants, people just looking for a better life. Mm -hmm. And many are draw, dr driven simply by desperate economic situation at home to go to their uh, we had the Italian uh, Africa summit while uh, at the beginning of this year, and that was all about uh, getting dealing with the migrant problem. And Italy saying that we'll try to address problems back home for you, so that you don't feel you have to come here. But that's really wishful thinking to try and deal with what is happening in the African countries. But certainly, that seems to be the way, the only way of dealing with it, because, uh, you know, once they get on those boats, they risk their lives and die in their hundreds. And uh, the, when they refused entry, as some of the Italian uh, governments have done, then those countries are seen to be heartless. So it's a, it's a, it's a big story in Africa and will continue to be, and it's going to start becoming more and more upfront as the weather turns and the you, climatically it becomes easier well, to cross the Mediterranean. I mean, we've got to also look at the reasons that people would want to leave. And you mentioned the economic situation in some of these countries. But primarily, I mean, most of the refugees are coming from North African countries that are in parlous states because the people who govern them either aren't governing them. I mean, the, Libya is just an anarchy. Um you know, you've mentioned Mali a couple of times. We've talked a little bit about Tunisia and Algeria. Uh, we've spoken about Sudan and South Sudan. We know what a disaster all of those places are, Somalia as well. These are the countries that... Eritrea. Eritrea. Mm. Eritrea, you know, yeah, they're calling the, up people these my are the, age. These are the countries that are sending so many, or not sending, but from which the migrants mostly originate. And in Southern Africa, it's you mentioned Zimbabwe earlier, because most of the, the influx... Uh, to other countries is from Zimbabwe because it's been run so badly. So if we could sort out, and this is why the elections this year in South Africa and so many other countries uh, are so important, uh, we need to get our leaders right. If we don't get our leaders right and we don't have good governance, then people will want to leave because why the hell would you want to stay not only in a place where there isn't any chance of you improving your life and where there's war and conflict and famine and all of that stuff, but also where you're governed by the worst possible people. And you know, we don't have a monopoly on bad leadership. I mean, uh, uh, we're looking at the African Union summit, which ended at the weekend, uh, you know, for every wickedness there is in the world, we match them. 
And, uh, you know, you look around today, uh, I, I remember at the time of Nelson Mandela, we used to play this game, comparing him to leaders and say, do they match up to him? And men, most of them didn't, but many of them were there nipping at his heels. But today, you look around and name me five good leaders in no, the world. Can't do it. Uh, no. Africa doesn't have them. And mm. who who, uh, who who are they internationally? The lack of leadership is really the biggest problem in the world today. So, JJ, um, we, we do have elections in South Africa this year. What other countries do we have elections in in the next couple of months? Well, our, our neighbouring... Oi, the audio Lost seems to hang have on, cut here. Yeah, let me just get back on there. Don't know what happened. It's elections later this year. Sorry, yeah, JJ. Nana Kufuadu, who has been sorry, there since sorry, 2017. J JJ, I, just, I lost you there. Uh, it was he, a bit, we had a technical okay. issue. Do you want to just start uh, again okay. with the elections? I missed that. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm saying that there, there's a bunch of them, more than a dozen. Mm. But uh, one of them is uh, in Namibia. Our neighboring Namibia is one. But uh, Nana Kufuadu, the Ghanaian president, he has promised, and he's been there since 2017. He served two full terms. And he... Um, uh, is, is promised not to try and run again. He's not going to try and exceed his term limit. But Nana Akufada was an interesting uh, participant in the summit at the weekend, the African Union summit in Addis Ababa. It was the last one he will attend because by the time uh, they meet again mid-year, he, he, he will have changed. He will have stepped down. But he was calling, Gareth, this is so interesting, for Africa-wide telephony uh, mobile interoperability system. And he's saying, you know, that we have 50% uh, of Africans have SIM cards, 28% access to the internet. There's a market, $832 billion in mobile money has moved around Africa. Hmm. So people no longer have to go to banks, take chances with organizations. They can move money. They don't have to change currency. They can move their own currency. And he is saying, if you want this Africa free trade uh, association, free trade area to work, let's work on this mobile interoperability so that I can sell something to somebody in Sudan uh, in, and get money in rands. I can sell to anybody else just by using my telephone. And that will make, I mean, a market of, you know, we are what, 1.2 billion people, one of the richest or one of the largest markets in the world. And if that can work and we have the technology, in many countries they've skipped over ever having fixed line telephones there, but only uh, uh, mobile telephones. So it's it's a it's a very very interesting to, thing to pursue, and it's very uh, more power to Nana Akufo-Addo that he should go out of office making mm. a call like this, which would help the whole of Africa. Well, that's good news. JJ, I, I know this is going to be somewhat of a difficult question to answer, but what is the likelihood of that coming to fruition? What uh, President Nana Okofu Adu has suggested? How, how far are we from that becoming an actual reality? Well, not that far. You know that we have uh, roaming around the world. I mean, and we, if we scrap roaming fees like they've done in uh, Europe to make it affordable, uh, there's none, not one of the 55 states of Africa that don't have mobile uh, phones. So you, we, we just need to concentrate. And I, I think when you ask how far, obviously I wouldn't venture a guess, but I think it is very reachable mm. and reachable uh, within, a, within a, a, a measurable time frame. Can we turn our attention to, you mentioned the African Union Summit, and I'm always amazed by these presidents and these government officials who fly all over the place, and they, they preach to us about climate change and how we should lower our carbon emissions and we should institute carbon taxes, because God knows, ordinary old us, you know, little people at the bottom who have to pay for our plane tickets ourselves, we are the problem. We are the ones that are causing all this, uh, all this carbon pollution. But these guys fly around in these jets. Sometimes they aren't even full. Uh, sometimes it's just them and a couple of ministers, maybe some press. Mm. But they don't, uh, they don't seem to have any qualms about flying around, using the fuel, uh, jetting in and out of every country's capital on a regular basis. Which of our presidents in Africa is busy with the most trips all over the place? 
And, and you ask the question, is it vanity or a necessity? How many of these summits really well, need to be held in person? Well, the COVID thing taught us that we can do stuff virtually. I do believe in right. looking across the table at somebody being preferable. Uh, and, and, you know, our own president, Cyril Ramaphosa, as his predecessors are all being criticized for being abroad too often. But as a leading power in Africa, we do need to attend these meetings. But we have, uh, the, the, I think the worst at the moment is uh, um, William Ruto, who came up as an ordinary guy, not part of the political classes. Kenya. In his 22, in his, yeah, in his two years, he's been abroad 50 times, five zero times. Bola <laughs> uh, Tinubu in 14 months, uh, in eight months in power, has been abroad 14 times. So they seem to be the two flying presidents. Uh, the Bola Tinubu is called the, quotes tourist-in-chief. Uh, and William Ruto's nickname is the Flying President. But there are many. Uh, Idris Deby, I mean, when, who's no longer there, he was ousted, but he had four presidential planes. So I think Inquasi does a good bit of work, and I, I, I don't really think that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa is profligate in the amount of time he goes away, and I don't think any of his predecessors, maybe with the exception of... Uh, uh, Jacob Zuma going off to uh, to Russia so many times. But, you know, uh, but listen to this one. Tanzania's John Magafuli, he never actually left Africa during his six years in office. <laughs> oh, wow. And I think he, he, did a, he did a pretty bang-up job as president. So, you know, I think we need to look at it. We certainly need to look at it. Uh, we don't have uh, Air Force One, which costs... $3.2 billion, uh, and, but every one of these uh, uh, leaders have planes. I mean, I see Emmanuel Macron has an Airbus. Uh, you know, everybody, all these leaders believe they need these planes. Uh, do you remember the African, who was the, uh, um, 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 the Malawian who, woman who, who sold the, pri the jet, private jet? Well, Gareth, I want to tell you that to travel with her was an absolute nightmare. You traveled to many summits with her because she used to come down to South Africa and then fly from there to Ethiopia or to where the venue was. Because if she was on the plane with you, Joyce you Banda. would land and wait. Yes, Joyce Banda. If you, you would land and wait two hours before you could get off because of security. And if she was getting on the plane, Again, you would be two hours late leaving. It was a nightmare. You used to pray that Joyce Banda wasn't on your flight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a tough one. But there's certainly, there's certainly room for, for thought for every single African leader. Do I really need to make this trip? And if I do, can I not make it commercially and, and make all the other passengers well, suffer? But uh, do I need a presidential plane? I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Cyril's plane in Kwasi. Now, I, have you traveled on that plane? Have you been on there? Never cracked a nod, no. I, I'm just curious about how, uh, you know, whether it's in, in excellent condition and how often it gets uh, serviced and what it costs us. Oh, I, I, I've no doubt that they look after it well. I mean, they, 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 they would service the plane very well. Uh, the, 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 the capacity for servicing in South Africa has diminished enormously. So probably in Kwasi gets sent abroad for servicing, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, skimp on that one. Sure. Just a whole lot of wasting of money, if you ask me. And, and I think you mentioned it earlier that uh, COVID told us a lot. Like we don't have to be in person for these things. We can easily meet up on the way we are meeting up right now, JJ, like we don't necessarily have to get onto a plane just to have a discussion that in all likelihood doesn't lead up to anything, really. Somebody says in the comments, you, you should check the, the seats on that plane for money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to do my first trip post-COVID. Yes. You know, so I, was, I, would have, I would have agreed with you before, but I've just been invited to the... OPEC of gas, the Gas Exporting Countries Forum, and they're having their uh, summit 
the seventh summit. They've been in existence for 14 years in Algeria, and I'm going there oh. at the end of the month. But we'll we'll talk about that, and I hope Fantastic. to talk to you from Algeria. Yeah, that but that will be very interesting. Uh, 19 member countries. It, it really is going to be something. But could we have done it? Or could they have done it with me looking on? Uh, I do it virtually every day of the week, look on at meetings. So I suppose they could have, but uh, it's, it, you know, to really, I think to give it heft, to give it uh, a, certainly more attraction, you have the people going to attend the summits. And, sure. yeah, that's and I think the leaders were pay, paying off their political uh, acolytes like to go and, and take a lot of people with them. Yep. JJ, it's great to see you again, and thank you for joining us this morning. The uh, African analysis for this morning is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and JJ Cornish will catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time. Lovely to be with you. Cheers. Thanks, That's JJ. very good. Okay, it's 7 o'clock when we come back, Democracy 101, and we've got a special guest to tell us about what covering the 1994 elections was like. He was at the forefront of all of that and continues to be on our screens, continues to uh, inform us about what's going on in the world, and I'm very happy to have him in the studio. That's none other than Dan Moyane. Next, stick around. Cliffcentral.com.